You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and we are back for 2023 with a new novel from last year that Herds, I am so overjoyed to be returning to. We're talking Benjamin Stevenson's Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone, chapters 1 to 15. We had Benjamin on the show for an interview about it last year. And I have been hankering to feature this novel on the show for so long. I'm glad to hear that. And honestly, look, I'm having a great time reading it. This is one of those murder mysteries that puts the fun in death. <laughs> That's how that works. It's just it's just a good time. I need to know, Herds. I've always got the vibe from this book that it is making fun of me specifically. <laughs> I need to know I, if you feel that as well or if it is really just me under the proverbial bus. I, I think that's you under the bus. I think that Benjamin Stevenson is driving the bus and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, in the passenger seat this time watching you get run over. No, I, I don't feel like it's making fun of me. It's definitely <laughs> taking me for a ride and throwing me out windows and, you know, delivering the story in a s- strange order in terms of time in order to confuse and 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 yeah confound me but i think it's good natured most of the time oh yeah no it's definitely good natured the whole way along i think the thing that's really fun to me and i i, I asked benjamin stevenson mm. this when he was on the show last i don't know if it made it in the episode but i think i introduced benjamin stevenson to Father Knox's Decalogue, which appears oh. in the opening pages of this book. Oh, no. He denies, he denies this last time I asked him, which is fine. You know, I don't, I don't feel the need to take credit. It's not that big of a weighing yeah, we, on my consciousness. We, we know the truth. We know the truth. But I am, I am haunted by this idea <laughs> that there is a, a piece of me in Ernest Cunningham, our protagonist, and it's just frightening the whole way through seeing, like, as I go to make notes reading this book- I will read two lines on and my note will be there in the text. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. Well, I will say while reading this novel, I definitely had, because, you know, I'm making theories as I go. I have to solve this thing at yeah. some point. And I'm like, exactly. well, obviously there's going to be, you know, this twist. Like the, the big one is, ah, Michael turns up a day later with Aaron. And in my notes, yeah. I'm like, oh, well, clearly he was here the day before and he set this whole thing up. That's going to be the big yep. twist. But then like chapter 12 or something, he's like, yeah, I like got out of the prison the, a day earlier. Yeah, that's like a thing that I, I did. And I'm like, well, like, that can't be the twist now. It can't be that. <laughs> you know, there's just so many great lines uh, in this book that have this like incredibly comedic edge that obviously comes from Benjamin Stevenson's background doing comedy, but are so well integrated into the text that it never quite feels like you're reading stand-up. Well, I mean, it's all grounded in these being real people, and it's obviously offset by the dramatic murder that's taken place, whether or not the characters can agree there's been a murder. The, The narrator tells us that there has been one, and that is really like the big pull of this novel, that the the narrator Ernest or Ernie or Ern or Ernst, however you want to call him, <laughs> he is being as honest with us as he feels he can get away with. Yeah. Which is like a weird line for the narrator to walk, but it's it's got that sense of playfulness to it that really makes the jokes feel like genuine and 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 real and human, which I really like. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that you were mentioning, Herds, is the way that it plays with time to deliver information. Yes. So, for example, we have this prologue chapter showing- Ernest and one of his brothers basically burying a body that is what his brother Michael went to prison for when we arrived to the main story of the novel. 
And it's so fantastic how much clarity we get in that scene of like exactly what's happening and it's told as though it was a full story, but then going back and being like, oh yeah, here was this thing that I didn't mention yes. and the no novel acknowledges that it did it because it felt the desire to be dramatic. Yes. Those those sequences are really great where he's like, oh yeah, I left the bag of money yeah. on my bed and I assumed, <laughs> I'd assumed that my, my wife would have checked it, but mm -hmm. no, we were sleeping in different rooms at that point and it has that real sense of coming back to clues that golden age detection is so known for, but in a way that the golden age never would have written it. And that's so special yeah. to me. I mean, I, I believe the line in that scene is, I assume the cops would have checked it, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to the wife at some point. I'm sure. Well, it's both. It's both. There's one where he says that the, the cops would have well, checked it, but then he also observes that he put it in his bed mm. and his wife different had room. they yeah. still been sharing that bed would have been there. Yeah, no, I really enjoy, uh, especially the, the thing that that, that sequence does the splitting up of that scene of where is the bag of money into yeah. uh, the first chapter and the flashback is that in the, in the first chapter, obviously Ernie is portrayed as, as a victim effectively. You know, he's the one mm. who sees his brother kill somebody. He's the one who goes to the witness stand to testify against his brother, which is like morally gray going against his family, but he's still like understandable. Yeah. But when it turns out that he kept the money, didn't tell anyone about it, kind of sort of forgot as far as like, that's what he says. It's all nonsense, obviously, yep. but like, it, it's clear that he does have that, that cunning and blood in him. Yeah. That, that look in his eye that he saw in, in Michael when he went to kill that, Alan, Alan Holton was the man who had the bag of money. I mean, also the way that we sort of uncover what the Cunningham blood is, is fantastic. <laughs> yes. Cause we're introduced to the rules that like, we don't speak to cops. That's, that's one of the family rules. <laughs> and yep. when you're presented that piece of information, it kind of doesn't make sense on a surface level because we keep having reference to this, uh, state funeral mm -hmm. filled with cops after his dad died. Yeah. And of course that's the lead in for the fact that the state funeral was for the cop his dad killed the night his dad yes. <laughs> died in a gunfight with those cops. And that's a great twist in a sense as well, but I was also really struck with how the novel uses that sequence for a very genuine moment of grief. Mm. Like Ernest is talking about how his memories of his father are less to do with his father and more the spaces his father left behind. Mm. Like the half drunk six pack of beer in the fridge, the worn leather lounge chair he used to sit in. And like that is that is so much the way that missing someone and that grief of someone you've lost feels. But the way that it's delivered around this twist of him not being the cop is, is such a fantastic way to sell a very genuine moment in a book that is fundamentally very silly. It's him trying to recontextualize his past and to think about these moments in life that have, have left him with trauma and have left him with sense of loss. Yeah. And I think particularly telling is again, he like lying to himself and lying to the reader in, in a half sort of way. Mm. He kind of frames, he frames it like the funeral is about his dad, which leads you to the, to the thought that maybe not everyone in the family has killed for necessarily a bad reason. Like maybe it was yes. like, this guy was, he was a cop and he was trying to save someone's life and he killed someone and, you know, it was an accident or whatever it was. And then it, it, it gut punches you. The novel says, no, actually he killed someone while he was holding up a store. Well, I think the other one that's really fantastic with that is some of the women in the family, like Sophia and yeah. Aaron in particular, like Aaron, the chapter about who, because there's the chapters are broken up in terms of like my father, my wife, my brother. Everyone gets one chapter. Yeah. The chapter about my wife 
just is is one chapter, uh, one line of text that so far that just says, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And that that is a real great setup, a great comedic moment. And obviously we're going to learn more about that as things go on. Yeah. Uh, but then that also pairs really nicely with the way that Sophia is portrayed, where she needs a lot of money right now. <laughs> the bag of money, for example, that uh, Ernest has brought with him to this ski lodge for some godforsaken reason but also because she is a doctor and the way that we've heard about her treating different members of the family there is this implication that it is to do with medical malpractice Mm -hmm. but we really don't have the context for what that malpractice is Mm. and we also know because at the beginning of the book and we'll talk about this more in the mystery section we have page references for when people will die in the book we know based on the meta text that Sophia has an alibi for the main murder of the novel Mm. so It's sort of setting up her as a morally gray killer in the same way that Ernest's father was. But the question is, is do we then flip that to black in the same way that um, that his dad was? Yeah, I I really enjoy the variety of, of characters in the family as well, because there's a lot of drama around Ernie confessing to to the cops about what happened with his, with his brother, the whole, point that the novel is getting at is it's not just about murder it's it's about family uh sophia says it's not just about you know who you share blood with it's who you'd spill blood for which is an incredibly yes, yes. damning line especially to be said in the same scene where somebody dies even if we know that she hasn't actually killed them like yeah it's great i i love the way that uh, that stevenson kind of plays with that idea of like we we know that she's not the killer but the things she's saying. Well, uh, well, there is this. There is the potential implication because the room rings from her phone when. Yes, I mean she's there, and the murder happens. That there's a little bit of a twist oh, coming sure. there in terms of maybe she's involved with the murder directly, and that's why it's from her phone. Or I was going to save this for a later time, but but yes, there is an implication. That, like, why would someone be calling from Sophia's room if she isn't in cahoots somehow with the murder that's currently going on? That's the implication. Mm. Um, Unless there's a whole other set of crimes going on that she's involved in. But we'll we'll discuss that further in the mystery section, I'm sure. We will have to see. We will have to see. I guess the other thing that I wanted to talk about is the rest of the family. Because we haven't gotten to the whole family and who they've killed quite yet. Mm. But one of the interesting things is that there is this sort of divide between the people that have married into the Cunningham Mm -hmm. family, like Andy, and people who were born into it. And Sophia kind of strides this line in the middle where she has made a really strong bond with Ernest as the two sort of like people who fit in but are still outsiders, uh, which is a, a great way to have a sort of detective duo even though i don't think detective duo is quite necessarily the best like descriptor for them uh but but it's really interesting seeing the way that benjamin stevenson explores the rest of the family the way that he writes these jokes about the extended cast like when we're talking about lucy who is into pyramid schemes and get rich quick stuff she's ridiculous. via the internet and she's always trying to sell things to people i need to tell you i love that her car was redacted because it was like the kind of car that's always involved in pyramid schemes which i th- it was ridiculous it's ridiculous there are some very fun strange meta jokes in this novel and the, the thing that i really like about the meta jokes here is brad friedman uh just a couple of weeks ago uh, at the end of December, made everyone in his fam- everyone in my family has killed someone. His final novel for his blog, Our Sweet Mystery, and mm-hmm. Brad will be joining us for the Watermill Murders uh, by yes. Yukuda Ayatsuji later this year, which I'm very excited for. 
but he he had a, a thing that I'm gonna I'm gonna quote directly. He said the jokes aren't perfect, yeah. but I would say more jokes land than fall flat, and the breezy prose keeps us moving along. Sure. And the thing I wanted to point out about this, which I really, really, really like about the book, is I feel that even if the jokes don't land for you, we learn so much about Ernest as a character from mm-hmm. the jokes he makes. Yeah. Like the whole thing where he says. I'm not going to tell you what sorts of things Lucy does on the internet, but let's just say the Egyptians built them. Yes. Which is, to me, not a very funny joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I love how much we can read into how uncomfortable Ernest is talking about Lucy and the setup that that gives for their relationship in the novel. Mm. That is a really great way to integrate a, a joke into a story. The joke doesn't need to land for it to be fun and relevant in the yeah. story. I mean, that's that's really the trick of writing these novels where there is an established narrator. Like, you need to, especially if they're the detective and the protagonist and they've apparently lost an arm before they end up. Like, yeah. there's all this stuff going on with Ernie and he really needs to have a strong voice, a strong narrative voice. And his voice is to make lots of terrible jokes and do lots of tangents that conceal probably the most important clues, mm. uh, <laughs> which is great. It's thoroughly entertaining to watch him try to kind of wrap his head around whatever's going on at a given moment um, and to excuse his way out of problems. And even when he, like, there are some points where he kind of loses control as well. He, yeah. um, he gets very upset when I think it's Sophia is being ostracized because of her, her loss of her, of her surgical license. And he completely mm-hmm. blows up at everybody. And it comes across again as a very genuine moment because there are no no jokes, at least in the in the like spoken bits. Yeah. And you could tell that he that he like cares about this, that he cares about Sophia and he cares about the family to some extent, even if he is mm. in that ostracized situation. Well, yeah, I mean, because we're told that this is the like mandatory family reunion. And mm. like mandatory family reunion is kind of just a name given to sure. it. It doesn't actually need to be mandatory, but Ernie still chooses to go. And like he says, it's about the money, but like it doesn't have to be, mm. you know? It's it, There's definitely a string and the way that he talks about after his father passed away, it being the three of them against the world, himself um, and, his, and his mother and his older brother, clearly he cares, even if he tries to be derisive about the whole thing. 9% of the time. I think, Herds, we should uh, wrap this bit of the discussion here and jump over to the mystery section, our first mystery section for 2023. I'm so excited. Me too. We are talking Benjamin Stevenson's Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone, chapters 1 to 15. Stick with us here on your Murder Mystery World Tour. This is 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. And kicking us off for 2023 is Benjamin Stevenson's Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone, chapters 1 to 15. And Herds, uh, this may be chapter 1 to 15, but we actually have 16 chapters that we're talking about today, thanks to chapter 14.5. I know, the most helpful chapter. I want to say I was a little bit disappointed when I didn't see a, a character list. But 14.5 is, I mean, it's, let's be real. It's partly to make up for the complete lack of anything in chapter, chapter nine, nine. (laughs) but it does outline most of the relevant clues and, uh, and, and questions that you kind of need to be thinking of if you're, as you're going through the novel. Yeah. 
which is really cool. I want to I want to set up a bit of context for this first of all because Uh-oh. the book opens with Ernest Cunningham talking about who he is. He is a murder mystery guide writer. He writes guides on how to write murder mysteries. Uh, is a big mm. proponent of Father Knox in a certain sense, <laughs> and because he is so concerned with playing fair, he lists out the page references for a bunch of things that happen in the book, including when people die by page reference or by timestamp, depending on which version of the book you're reading. He talks all about how things will and will not work. He will point out plot twists before they happen so you have a chance to kind of catch up if you're a little bit behind. And then when we get to chapter 14.5, we have an itemized list of 10 things, uh, 10 important nuggets Mm -hmm. that Ernest would like to highlight, uh, including that someone was in Sophia's chalet when she was in mine. They called the room phone, which is written in a way where that could come about as a reversal, but you can kind of trust it because of the way that Ernest presents himself as narrating. Uh, Sophia is the only one with an alibi for the murder of who we're calling Green Boots, the person who died from smoke inhalation in the snow. He takes one item in the list just to rag on his sort of ex-wife. The most important uh, clue, clearly. Yeah, he reminds you that he mentioned that he has another brother who hasn't appeared or been mentioned explicitly in the story yet. Then he lists that we are 67 pages away from the next death or seven chapters in the ebook which is yeah not as helpful i'll tell you what i did notice in the ebook it says chapters all the time because obviously the pages can be of different lengths yes yes i i do kind of wish that i had been reading the physical book maybe i'll try and pick that up before the next recording because i switched i switched to the physical one because i i really would have liked the ebook to be like line count or something or sentence count yes but that would have still been hard to manage obviously yeah i'm sure it would have been and i understand what they've done what they what they've done here but the first time that it's it's references at the end of chapter one where it's like you're at the end of chapter one and i'm like well no actually there's a few more pages till the end of chapter one yeah or like you know two pages or whatever anyway that aside i wanted to say there is another important piece of information that is going to form the cornerstone of any theory I make about this book. Please. And that, and that is that Ernie, Ernest Cunningham promises to be reliable, but not competent. Yes. Um, I'm just going to point that out before we go anywhere. So goodness, how do we even tackle this? So here's the thing. I cannot promise that I have solved this entire novel, that I am some kind of mega genius, but I think I've figured out, uh, if not the main trick, then one of the main tricks. Because here's here's the thing: we've got this this murder where yeah. you know Sophia's in the room and someone's tried to call her or Ernie, and it's probably a signal of some kind. Mm-hmm. I assume it's a signal saying that the deed has been done and that Sophia can stop like distracting yes. Ernie and that she's there mainly just to see that the money's there so they can nick it later, mm. possibly making a helicopter escape. That's my dream. Because <laughs> there is a helipad on the on the like ski lodge. I know, we've set it up. <laughs> which is great. But the thing that I want to laser beam in on is <laughs> Darius Crawford. Darius Crawford mm-hmm. is apparently a cop who doesn't know what he's doing. He's the only policeman who's arrived on the scene yeah, and he has blood on the inside of his jacket when the, when the victim appears to have died from frostbite or burning or whatever. Yeah. I do not believe that this man is actually Darius Crawford. I believe that the body in the snow is Darius Crawford. 
and that someone is masquerading as a policeman in order to get revenge on Michael. Hold on, are you are you telling me that this cop <laughs> with no respect for due process yes. might might be a clue might, for something? I then? might maybe be saying <laughs> that when he's like nervously like checking his walkie-talkie and looking down the driveway, being like, "Oh, I wonder if mm-hmm. the other police are going to show up," and he only takes charge after he's certain that no one's going to show up. Yep, maybe that's because he's like. I'm going to have to hoof it if anybody with any authority actually turns up. Okay. Now my next What's question, your question is, who do you think I Darius think Crawford I th- is? Okay. I'm going to say- Is that Cunningham Brother 3? I. You know what? I'm going to say that is correct because they explicitly- The only real clue that we have about this person's identity is that they're slightly younger than yeah. Ernest Cunningham. I think it has to be his younger brother. I think that uh, all those years ago in the snow when um, Michael's car had hit something twice or possibly two separate things, yeah. I think that there was a scuffle between the younger brother and uh, and Alan Holton and possibly even Michael. They might have all been involved in the robbery. Yeah, That's what I'm going to say. And this resulted in Alan getting shot and the two of them getting run over by uh, by Michael, younger brother, and Alan, because Michael was the first one back to the car that had all the money in it. You you mentioned that your theory hinged on the fact that Ernest was yes reliable but not competent. Yes. How if you were to rate incompetence, <laughs> Ben, on a, on a, on a on a scale from one to ten, mm. ten being the most competent, how? Incompetent is Ernest Cunningham not to recognize his own I'm brother. I'm giving him a two. I'm giving portraying <laughs> Darius Corbin. I'm giving him a. I'm giving him a two because he's at least competent enough to carry a dead body, which is all he needs to be able to do in that scene. And th- this is the thing, right? We see him go like when when he realizes there's blood under under his jacket, his face goes pale. Look. Listen, I, I don't I don't think I have anything that I can do to dissuade you from the fact that Darius Crawford is is definitely up to something. He definitely is, but and I'm about nine. The insinuation, like- <laughs> the insinuation that it is the other Cunningham brother when the entire Cunningham family is there and nobody seems to have given him a second well, so glance here's the thing. is absurd. <laughs> it is absurd. So for one thing, okay. The mother says, this family reunion only starts when my son arrives. And she's probably referring to Michael. Um, I'm going to say that the younger brother was assumed to have died. Maybe during that whole bank heist scandal, maybe everybody else thinks that he's dead. Also, there is a caveat to this story. And that is that there is a plot hole, apparently, that you could drive a truck through. I think that the younger brother is that plot hole. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I think that's I, the plot I hole. was going to ask about the plot hole <laughs> because plot you hole. and I know, you and I both know that our favorite murder mysteries all have plot holes the size of very large yes. vehicles that one could drive something through. And I'm sold. I want this to be true. I want it to be true too. If if this is untrue, I want Benjamin <laughs> Stevenson to go go back and reuse this idea in his recently announced sequel, Everyone on This Train is a Suspect. Ooh, that sounds like fun. You know, maybe we should just just land it here, just finish off with one episode for this book and not see how it ends and go read <laughs> the train <laughs> ones. Just, unfortunately, we'd have to wait until October or something oh, for that. Well, we, could, we got a time machine somewhere lying around. I'm sure we could, we could figure that one out. I think, I think all of this is fantastic. Thank you. And I, 
I, I guess I don't really have any major questions about your core theory. Don't ask me any questions about anything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I guess we could wrap the episode up, Herds. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do I do want to say also just to because I love talking about characters thematically. Also, I like the idea that because obviously he used the space in chapter nine to foreshadow how he, he didn't want to talk about his wife. And by foreshadow, I mean state. Mm-hmm. Um, it would make a lot of sense. If this whole book is him thinking about how he abandoned his younger brother a long time ago and now is dealing with the consequences of his actions, much of the same way that he and Sophia are being abandoned by the current family and all that sort of thing. Anyway, yeah. please go with your questions. Go for it. <laughs> Tear me apart. I guess- <laughs> The the thing that I wanted to know yes. is that we we have this entire setup of the uh, murder happening while Sophia is in Ernest's room. Ah, crap. <laughs> yes. Now, is this younger brother portraying Darius in the room? What does Sophia have to do with that? Like you've said, the phone call is there to like call off a distraction, obviously, mm. but or be a, be a signal. You know, we know that there are more deaths to come, so. Does it all come down to this one key what. trick that you I'll pointed you out for the first murder? I'll tell you what I'm going to- Or is this going to be a smorgasbord? I'll tell you what I'm going to throw together. Um, there are a couple of things. It's definitely a smorgasbord. It's, it has to be. I noticed that uh, Katarina says that the rooms have been switched, and I've read enough murder mystery to know that that is always significant. Yes. Um, that uh, Ernie has ended up in room four instead of room six because room four was being cleaned. Why was it being cleaned? What surveillance equipment has been installed into that room to keep an eye on the money? That's, <laughs> I know that's a bit of a leap, but like, I'm not sure what else. No, I believe that. I believe that. <laughs> that's my assumption. I'm going to assume because Michael and Aaron, they said, you know, we don't want to be known for being away from the prison last night. I assume it's because they were at the resort setting stuff up for trying to steal the money back if um, maybe if Ernie doesn't want to give it to them. Maybe they're the ones who get in the helicopter. Maybe that's what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think honestly, I can't quite pin Sophia as cavorting with, with the younger brother to yeah. do all these kills. I think it's more likely that she's working with Michael and Aaron to try and get the money back because she only wants 50K. She only needs 50K. All right. Well, I have one final question and I don't particularly expect you to have an answer so much as just take a fun jab at it. I do love jabs. When we go and visit Marcelo and Audrey's room, we're talking about Chekhov's gun (laughs) and it is observed that there is a medal with an interesting pattern on the mantelpiece. Uh, And those two statements in direct adjacency means that something is up with that medal. And I'd love to know your best guess as to what so far. I need to let you know, I was doing my reread today before we sat down to chat and I did not actually get up to that chapter. I was like in the chapter before, do they describe the patent on the medal? Oh my goodness. Yeah. The description says that it was dark bronze framed on blue velvet in a glass face portrait with a small rectangular strip of paper. And the paper had a grid of dots on it but it wasn't Morse code or anything that Ernest recognized. I mean, it sounds like a map to me. A map of the rooms or something? My goodness. I, oh, is it the chalets? Is there like an extra treasure hidden under one of the chalets? Oh my God. It's a tantalizing clue, isn't it? It's like, you've got so little to work with, but just because it's framed by these like, oh yeah, Chekhov's gun. Oh yeah, Mary Westmacott. I I definitely thought about this, but did not 
I have not sat down to work this one out. I have to know, Flex, when you heard about this this war medal, did you instantly go, I know what that is? <laughs> is that how that went? I don't know if I went I so. exactly that I knew what this was, but I definitely had a clearer inkling than I think you do at the moment. Yeah. So there's there's maybe something to unpick there. Uh, look, I'm gonna have to think about it. Is do I have to solve this today or like No, no. I just wanted I just wanted to know if you if you had a had a thought on it because when I saw the word Chekhov and gun and metal. No, I know. I sh- I definitely should have thought about it. Awarded for carrying a life-saving message through heavy fire nineteen forty four. I I'm look, I'm just gonna say it's a map to treasure. Possibly to the real Chekhov, whose grave is below the chalets. I can't- look, I can't solve every mystery. Well, Herds, I think you have answered the the, the questions that I, I would hope that you'd be poking at at the moment. And there's still little bits and pieces to pick up on here and there. And, you know, Ernest pointing a lot of them out, so I don't think you'll have too much trouble finding what there is to solve. But as you've so clearly done with uh, this theory towards the plot hole the size of a truck- um, <laughs> I hope that that's the there point. Is- I love, can I just say, full points to Benjamin Stevenson for creating a plot hole deliberately so I can use it as a clue to solve the mystery. It's oh, beautiful. It's so- Thank you. Well, it's, it's like the title of the book. The title of the book is Everyone <laughs> in My Family Has yes. Killed Someone, which, as Ernest points out in the story, is obviously going to give away a twist at some point, but that becomes part of the yeah, fun. Of course it does. Of course it does. It's perfect. It's, I love it. This is an excellent book. It is It is such a good death of the reader book. I really hope you get the chance to read it alongside us. Next week on the show, Herds, it is going to be chapters 16 to 32, mm. which is up until the end of a, one of the sections later on in the book. I won't spoil which at this point. Uh, but I hope that you enjoy yourself, and I hope that you are ready for a bit more bloodshed. Yay! Murder time! This is Death of the Reader, your Murder Mystery World Tour, here on 2SER 107.3. Thank you for joining us for our first episode of 2023. We'll see you next week. Next time on Death of the Reader. We're out of here.